Good morning. How's everybody today? All right. All right. It's good to see you guys. Uh, if you're joining us online, I know I saw Mickey on there early. Good morning, Mickey. Glad you are uh, glad you're able to join us this week. We're going to we're going to pick up where we left off last week. We looked at the first seven verses of chapter 10 and I wanted to just kind of summarize briefly. But before we get started this morning, I just it's been on my heart as we worship this morning. Glenn is uh, preaching starting a revival uh, this morning at First Baptist in Dry Frong. And so I just wanted to take a moment uh, for us as a body to pray over that church. Um, they've been reading the abiding cycle and having life group discussions um, uh, in that in that direction for the last, I think, week or so. And so uh, just excited about what the Lord's going to do out there. So let's, let's just bow our heads this morning and pray briefly over them, and then we'll, we'll dive into our text for today. Father, we just want to lift up um, uh, our church in, in Dry Prong. Father, we just want to ask that this morning that you would uh, prepare the hearts of the people to receive a word from you. Father, we lift up Glenn this morning, God, and we ask that he would be only a vessel, um, a conduit in which your truth and your love can be communicated in a way that the people can hear and understand and receive. So Father, we, we ask this morning that you would uh, continue to do a work in their body and that you would reveal yourself uh, to the people at First Baptist in Dry Prong. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so last week, like I said, we looked at the first seven verses of chapter 10 and we discussed how the way that we live, how that shapes lives, right? How it shapes our lives and it shapes the lives of people around us. And um, we talked about the fact that that doesn't negate or doesn't do away with grace, that we definitely still need grace. Um, but we talked about how God is God and he has the ability to forgive and forget, but we as humans don't possess that same ability, right? We can forgive, but it takes a long time for that pain to go away and for us to be able to forget those things. And, and the reality is, is that, that God sees us as we are, but his love for us is unchanged by our behavior, right? And that's because of his grace. However, we are humans and that, that doesn't always, that exchange doesn't happen from human to human often. And so the way that we live, the way that we treat people, the way we respond to circumstances in our lives has an effect on not only how people see us, but more importantly on how they see Christ, right? If someone is, is mean to us or ugly to us and we respond in kind, but we profess to be a believer, what they are receiving from us is a false image of who God is and how he loves. And so it's really important that we respond in the appropriate way. Um, we, we talked about how our response to the world's foolishness has the ability to change hearts, right? When someone does act foolishly towards us, our response not only makes an impact on how they perceive God, but also on his um, the change that he brings about in their life, right? If we are treated in an unfair way, but we respond with kindness and with love, that's going to go a lot farther than if we respond with negativity. And we see that in our text. Um, we, we also talked about how we can help change lives, right? Part of our, our purpose in living in relationships is that that when we choose to have difficult conversations, when we step into those dark places in people's lives and live in that with them, that it changes them, right? Because now they see that God is love and that he wants to be a part of their pride. So today, part of their life. Today, we're going to finish out chapter 10. We're going to see that, that it's in the difficulties of life that our relationship with Christ allows us to shine as a light in the darkness, right? That it's important that we walk with people through difficult things because it helps them to understand that just because they've had these difficulties in their life, that God's not doing away with them, 
right? We see that in our own lives where we see areas of our life where there is sin, but Christ is still living in us and he's still working in us to overcome that sin. And we're going to talk a lot more about that today, okay? I want us to be reminded that um, there's been this overarching purpose in our study of Ecclesiastes, right? And, and we see that over and over again every week that, that God's love in a broken world is kind of our understanding of this. This is why we're studying this book. When I started praying about this at the end of last year in 2019, thinking about where God would bring us as a church, he gave me this idea of God's love in a broken world. And as we've talked about a number of times, we did not realize that 2020 was going to be the way 2020 is and how relevant this word is for us as a people, but also for the world around us. And as we look at the text today, we need to keep that in mind. We're going to talk a lot more about foolishness today. We're going to look at it in our own lives. We're going to let the Holy Spirit do a work in us and reveal that in our own lives. But I want us to understand as we do that, that the goal is for the Lord to work in us, right? We want to be made in His likeness. We want God's love to move into the broken areas of our lives, right? Because we can't be God's love in a broken world if we are still broken. And there's going to be always areas of our lives where it's difficult, right? Where there's things in the past that make moving forward difficult, but we need to understand that God wants to work in us in a way that helps us to find peace and find hope and joy in the midst of that brokenness and then gives us an opportunity to share that with other people. So this morning, we're going we're gonna to dive into chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 8 through 11, and then we'll, we'll go a little further than that today, but we want to start with those, with those verses, okay? Well, I do want to say this before we, before we get into it. I want us to understand, we're going to see um, some parallels today, some, some places where the author talks about a positive and a negative. And as we jump through those, we need to understand a couple of things. Number one is that life is hard, and there's nothing we can do about that a lot of times, right? Things happen to us. We don't have any control over it. None of us decided we'll use the hurricane because we've been talking about that a lot. And there's another tropical storm headed this way. Beta is on her way. If you didn't know that, you can check out your weather app after the message. It's coming. Don't worry about it. I just told you. All right, it's not going to be a big deal, just be a depression when it gets here. But we didn't choose a hurricane, right? It's not like we were like, hey, Laura, over here, we'll take it, all right? Nobody chose that, but we have to deal with that. But then there are other times in our lives where we make decisions that bring on hardship, right? And we're going to look at both of those today. We're going to see both of those in our text and figure out how we deal with it. So let's jump in together and read these first couple of verses. It says, the one who digs a pit may fall into it, and the one who breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. The one who quarries stones may be hurt by them. The one who splits logs may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and one does not sharpen its edge, then one must exert more strength. However, the advantage of wisdom is that it brings success. If the snake bites before it's charmed, then there is no advantage for the charmer. So as you guys know, like one of my goals is always to communicate truth as, as simply and um, um, I will just say simply as possible. I want to get it out there in plain language so that everybody can understand. Because when you read a passage like this, you just, your mind tends to just kind of gloss over it. You're, like we said last week, kind of the overarching message of this chapter is don't be a fool, right? We, so we can read this text and go, okay, I get it. We're not supposed to do dumb things, okay? But point number one I want to make today is that if you play dumb games, you win dumb prizes, okay? I can't get any more simple than that. That's a well-known phrase, right? I say it to, to my kids often right? And as a parent, you probably do too. If you haven't before, you're missing out on a great opportunity. That's all I'm going to say, okay? So we see two different scenarios in this section. First, there's a danger when we purposely do things to hurt ourselves or hurt others. 
The pit reference is in, in verse 8 is speaking to someone that's digging a pit as a trap for someone else. If you look into that text, that's what it's talking about. Uh, a place where you might see that in Scripture is when Joseph is thrown into the pit by his brothers. Right? That same word for pit can be cistern. But it's when people are purposely digging a trap for someone else. And in doing so, they fall into the trap on their own. So they fall into the trap that they were setting up for someone else. Last month we talked about Haman's gallows in the book of Esther and how Haman built these gallows with the purpose of killing Mordecai and all the other Jews that lived in the city. But at the end of that story, it's not Mordecai that dies on the gallows, it's Haman, the one that built the gallows. The second scenario that we see in our passage today is occupational hazards. He calls out specifically uh, one that works in a quarry or someone that's cutting timber. Both of those jobs, like so many in the world, come with inherent dangers. Both of these scenarios can be taken care of by one thing, though. Both of them can be taken care of by wisdom. Did you catch what he said um, at the end of verse 10? Because he answers this issue. He says, if the axe is dull and one does not sharpen its edge, then one must exert more strength. However, the advantage of wisdom is that it brings success. The author has spent the first half of this chapter talking specifically about the downfalls of foolishness. And here he answers the question that he's been asking throughout this book. Remember in, in chapter 1, verse 3, one of the first things that we discussed, he says, what does a person gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? So he's asking this question in the beginning of the book is, what is the purpose of all of this? Why do we work so hard for things? What is there to gain? We've studied over these months that there are effects to wisdom versus folly. We gain success when we choose wisdom. Our example, the axeman that prepares his tools in advance is far more productive and less weary because he chooses to take the necessary steps to be ready for his work. And that's an application that we see all the time. But let's take that application because we see that and we go, of course that makes sense. If you're going to use a tool, make sure it's sharp before you use it, right? But let's put that application in our own lives. Let's look at it this way. For believers, there's two options. We choose to listen to the Holy Spirit as He leads our lives. And we do that by daily spending time with Him, by choosing to abide and allowing the Lord to speak into our lives on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. That's us preparing our tools. That's us getting ready for the day. The other option is to neglect what we know will benefit our lives. Right? Somebody who spends their life cutting timber, whether it's an axe or a chainsaw, they are very aware that if the tool is sharp, that they will get more done and it'll be more productive day and the work will be more enjoyable. We know the same things. We know that if we wake up in the morning and we take that first part of our day and we spend time with the Lord, that our day is going to be a better day. It doesn't mean our day won't be hard, but it means that our perspective on the hard things we deal with that day are going to be the Lord's perspective. The Holy Spirit started the day working in our lives. And so when we do have the little things that trip us up, we know and we can feel that the Holy Spirit is there. God has shown us over and over and over again that by allowing Him to guide our lives, we are prepared for what's to come. Our actions, whether we obey or not, don't dictate how our life goes but they certainly determine whether or not we are prepared for the things that come to us in life. I don't know if I've shared this story with you guys before, so if I have, forgive me. Uh, it's hard to keep track of what I've told you and what I haven't told you. But I have a friend who's a good bit younger than I am, and I've mentored him for a lot of years. Great, great guy. 
And all the time he'll call me for advice and I'll give him the wisest advice I can. And then he gets off the phone and he does the opposite of what I tell him to do. And then a couple of months will pass. He doesn't want to talk about it because he's embarrassed. And then he'll call me and be like, hey, Will, I didn't do the thing you told me to do. And this is what happened. And I go, dude, we've been down this road a lot. Like, it's not that I'm real smart. It's just that you're not real smart. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay. So a few months uh, ago, well, no, a few years ago, excuse me, he called me and he said, look, I got this friend who's really going through a hard time. And I don't know what to do with this guy. He's like, he calls and he asks me for advice and I give him good advice and he doesn't do what I say and his life falls apart. And I said, wow, that's really frustrating, isn't it? I don't know how you feel. We often know what we should do, right? We look at a situation and we know what the right answer is. And especially if we're spending time with the Lord, when those difficulties, when those hard times show up, We know how we should respond because we've been spending that day with the Lord, right? The Spirit is in us. We're communicating. That day has started in the right way. But we should not be surprised when things go poorly and we respond poorly if we haven't spent time with the Lord that day. We shouldn't be surprised by that. Just like if you pick up an axe and you don't sharpen it before you start, you shouldn't be surprised that it's hard to cut the tree down. As a matter of fact, I'll go ahead and say that you have no right to complain about how difficult your life is if you're not putting the time in to prepare for the day. Not only do you have the right, I'm not going to listen to you. You know why I'm not going to listen to it? I'm not going to allow it? It's because when we choose to make bad decisions, sometimes we have to live in the consequences of those bad decisions so that we learn not to do that again, right? Parents, we do that with our kids all the time, right? They make a mess, we make them clean up the mess so that hopefully next time they won't make a mess again. If they're little, that happens a lot, okay? But it gets better as they get older. But we need to apply that same logic to our own lives. The reason that this is important for us to understand is because we need to understand that that our words and our actions are incredibly powerful. We talked about that last week. Our words have the ability to give life or to take life away. So the second point I want to make today is that the words of our mouths reveal the reality of our hearts. Look with me at 12 through 14 in chapter 10. He says, the words of the mouth of a wise person are gracious, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words from his mouth is folly, but the end of his speaking is evil madness. Yet the fool applies words. No one knows what will happen and who can tell anyone what will happen after him. Listen, in most cases, when you meet somebody for the first time, you can pretty quickly figure out if they are a person who lives in wisdom or a person who lives in folly. They tell you without ever having to say either of those words. And you know how you know? Because they just nonstop, just talk, 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 talk. Okay, you guys know the kind of people I'm talking about. Sometimes that's me, sometimes it's you. And this isn't a judgment, it's just an observation of what's happening in your life, Right? I'm not saying that you should, we should be judging one another. I love the way the New, Translate, New Living Translation puts it. Let's read that again. I want you to hear the way it says it. The words from the mouth of a wise person are gracious, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words from his mouth is folly, but the end of his speaking is evil madness. Yet the fool multiplies words. No one will ever know what will happen, and who can tell anyone what will happen after him? The struggles of the fool weary them, for they don't know how to go to the city. I don't know if you've ever been like starstruck by anybody. Has anybody ever had that that 
uh, experience before where you meet somebody who's famous or somebody that you've really looked up to and you just become an idiot in the moment? Have you ever experienced that before? Yeah? Um, several years ago, Bethany was going through this um, youth ministry training program that happened over the course of a year. And the guy that was leading it was this guy named Marco. And, and we had followed Marco in the youth ministry world for a lot of years and had a lot of respect for him. Um, and Bethany had been going to these meetings and had built up a relationship with him. Well, he called the house one day to, um, to talk to Bethany. And I answered the phone. He's like, hey, Willis, Marco is calling for Bethany. And I just become a, became a bumbling idiot for like five minutes straight. She's like, get off the phone right? Because I'm just saying all the things. Everything I've ever thought about Marco is just, I'm vomiting it out on the phone, right? And it was because in this moment, what was really important to me was that Marco know me. That's what it was about. I wanted him to know who I was. Here's the point. When we're trying to impress someone, we say anything and everything to that end. I became a bumbling idiot because all of a sudden, this guy that I've always wanted to have a relationship is on the phone, and so I'm trying to just say all the things. Right? And I'm sure you've had experience like that before. Our desire to be known, liked, or respected often causes us to act foolishly. Right? Those, those desires that we have, which are good, it's good to desire to be liked, it's good to desire to be respected, but a lot of times we put that, the cart ahead of the horse, as they say. We let that become the main thing. In my scenario, all I got out of it was a little bit of embarrassment, but at other times, our pride and our desire to be right or like cause real harm. I had a, um, a friend of mine one time, I won't go into all the details, but we were doing some cowboy stuff and he wanted to do the thing that I was doing. I was like, do you know how to do this? And he's like, oh yeah, I know how to do it. And so I, I let him do it and he almost got really, really bad hurt. Thankfully he didn't. But because of his pride, because he wasn't willing to admit that he didn't know exactly how to do what was happening, he put himself and others in a lot of danger. When we, do, when we put a desire to be somebody before wisdom, quickly the truth is revealed and we become a fool or it becomes evident that we are being foolish. As the preacher points out in verses 8 through 11, um, it could put you or others in serious danger that could have been avoided, right? We talked about that in the first part of this section, that there's some danger that, that we can't avoid, but other times there's danger that we absolutely can't avoid if we will just act with wisdom, and he's told us this before. Look at Ecclesiastes 3.7. He says, there's a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to be silent and a time to speak. Or Ecclesiastes 5, verse 1 through 7. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Better to approach in obedience than to offer the sacrifice as fools do, for they ignorantly do wrong. Do not be hasty to speak and do not be impulsive to make a speech before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. Just as dreams accompany much labor, so a fool's voice comes with many words. When you make a vow to God, don't delay filling it, because it does not, um, he does not delight in fools. Fulfill what you vow. Better that you do not vow than that you vow and do not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth bring guilt on you, and do not say in the presence of the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry with your words and destroy the work of your hands? For many dreams bring futility, so do many words, therefore fear God. Ecclesiastes 7.5, it's better to listen to a rebuke from a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. Or lastly, Ecclesiastes 9.17, the calm words of the wise are heeded more than the shouts of a ruler over fools. Look, there's a lot that can be accomplished in this world. But a lot of it requires not us speaking, but us listening specifically to the voice of the Lord. All too often, our desire, desire to be right 
or to be heard outweighs the need for us to just be silent. Oftentimes when we go before the Lord or we stand before one another, our desire is not to listen and to learn, but to speak and to be heard. And there are times to speak up and there are times to be heard. But just like he said in, this, in the beginning of this book, there's a time for everything and sometimes we need to listen. In those moments that, that we see others, especially when those that are hurting, our hearts should be not in our self-interest or self-promotion, but in what's best for them. We make moments that are not about us about ourselves often. Look at Proverbs 17 through 20. It says, Even a fool is considered wise when he keeps silent, discerning when he seals his lips. There's a time to be silent. There's a time to speak up. We don't know what all is happening in someone's life. life, And we don't know what's going to happen in their life. Just like we don't know what's going to happen in ours. So we need to be careful about what we say and how we say it. Look, I'm, I'm as guilty as any of the others. One of my love languages is words of affirmation. And so I fall into the trap often of saying too much or saying more than I should because for, for two reasons. Number one is I want people to feel really loved, but also I want them to reciprocate that and say nice things about me because it makes me feel loved. And so I find myself fishing for those compliments sometimes. And so we need to be very careful about what we say and how we say it. I think our desire is to make an impact on people's lives, but we need to remember that it isn't our words of wisdom that bring about change. It's God's wisdom. Third point I want to make today is that God's work in our lives has given us voice. And this is really important for us to understand. It's God's wisdom that is needed in other people's lives, not more of our own. People will never hear God's wisdom if we are focused on ourselves and only speaking out of our own wisdom. In moments when we are making everything about us, instead of people hearing from the Lord, they're just hearing from us. They're hearing us rambling on look at verses 16 through 20 the the last part of this chapter it says woe to you land when your king is a youth and your prince feast in the morning blessed are you land when your king is a son of nobles and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness because of laziness the roof caves in and because of neglect hands um, neglected hands the house leaks A feast is prepared for laughter, and wine makes a happy life, and money is the answer for everything. Do not curse the king, even in your thoughts, and do not curse a rich person, even in your bedroom. For a bird of the sky may carry the message, and a winged creature may report the matter. Listen, here's the thing. God is working in your life, just like he's working in my life. He's working in the lives of the people of our church, in communities around central Louisiana, in the United States, and in the world. This message of abiding, this message that we share, God is using it all over the place. And because of what God has done in our lives, hear me, because of what God has done in our lives, not because of what we've done, but because of what God has done, people are watching, watching and listening to what we do and what we say. Whether you like it or not, whether you're uncomfortable with this reality, God has given each one of us a voice in the lives of people. Not because of who we are, but because of what God is doing in us. That may make you uncomfortable, but it is our reality. Whether you like it or not, you are a leader because of your call to be a member of a TGP church. And I'm not just talking about this one. I'm talking about Wardville here at West, the the church plant that's going to happen in Colleen. 
if you're part of our church in Alaska or Uganda or Romania or, or Honduras, wherever, because God has you and has called you into this body, people are watching and listening. And listen, I'm not overselling this. You've experienced this. You've experienced God do something exclusive in your life that only God could do, and it grabs people's attention. They begin to see it. And they begin to ask questions. As we talked last week, how we live matters because people are watching. And I'm not saying that to make you uncomfortable or try to do some behavior modification, but we need to see the reality of where we are. Our lives can have a positive effect in the kingdom and in the lives of our community, or they can have a negative, and it's kind of up to us. The determining factor is not our behavior, it's our obedience. If at any point we go out on our own wisdom, it very quickly will be evident that it's us and not God doing the work. In our passage, the preacher is warning about the results of a foolish king. He's spoken at length in this chapter of the dangers of living under a foolish leader. When we decide that spending time with God is a lesser value than the other things that we want to do, we are choosing to be a foolish leader. All of us are leaders. None of us escape that. I'm not the only leader in this church. The elders aren't the only leaders in this church. The staff are not the only leaders in this church. All of us are. God has put us in that place as believers, as people who call themselves followers of Christ. It's our goal. It's our job. It is our gift, as we've talked about over and over and over again, to be the fragrance of Christ in our communities. That makes us a leader. And how we choose to live makes a difference. You don't need to be worried about stressed about this though. There's there's nothing that you can do to make yourself a good leader. And that's exactly the point. Right? It's not about us. It's not about what we can do. It's about what Christ does through us. All we can do is stay connected to the Father. He's our wisdom. He's our life. He is our righteousness. It's about what God's doing. It's about whether or not we are choosing to do what he's calling us to do. God is able to do all the things that we desire for ourselves and for our loved ones. And the way that happens is by us living in obedience. It's in us devoting our lives to the Father so that we're able to be all that people need us to be. We can't be all things to all people when we're living in our own strength and our own power. That only happens as we abide in Christ. Do you want to be a good son or daughter? Abide in Christ. Do you want to be a good spouse? Abide in Christ. You want to be a good leader? Abide in Christ. It's the same answer to the same question that we've always had. At this stage in the life of our church, it's good for us to be reminded of who we are in Christ. And what is it that's changed us? Why are we different than the way we used to be? We're different because we've discovered the kind of relationship that God has always desired to have with His creation. And it's changed our lives forever. Because we now understand the kind of relationship that Jesus was talking about. We're going to read John chapter 15, 1-8 again. And I know we've read this a lot as a church. But I think that we're at a place right now where we need to, to really see this again. Because Jesus describes to His disciples right before His death, He says, look, I've taught you all these things, but this is why I'm here. This is what I came for. I came to die to forgive you of your sins because this is the kind of relationship that my Father wants to have with you. Listen to His words. He says, I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, He removes. And He prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. 
Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Jesus is saying, look, since you were created, this is the kind of relationship that we have longed to have with you. Not that you live out here on your own and we just talk every now and then, but that we would be connected in such a way that you are able to do things that you are not physically able to do on your own. The Father desires to manifest Himself through us. And it's only through an abiding relationship with Christ that we're able to know Him and to make Him known. If we're not abiding, we can't share with someone what we have not experienced. This is how we know Christ. We know Christ by abiding in Him. And how do we make Him known? Galatians 5.14 says this, For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. If we stay connected to the vine, if we are producing fruit because of our connection with the Father, we are living as one with Him. And the results of that, the fruit that He talks about, is that we're going to begin to love people in a way that they've never been loved before. And by doing so, we are sharing with people who Christ really is. So you see, we're knowing Him and we're making Him known, but it's not us doing the work. It's the Father doing the work through us. It's when we become complacent in our abiding relationships that things begin to crumble and fall apart. Next point I want to make today is that when God is absent in your life, it quickly becomes obvious. Let's read verses 18 and 19 again. But this time I want to read in the Amplified Version because it picks up on the nuanced word order that happens in the Hebrew text and we miss it in the English text because you may have caught this when we read across and go, wait, what? Look at verses 19, 18 and 19 with me. It says, through um, indolescence, the rafters, state of affairs, decay, and, roof, and the roof sinks in. And through idleness of the hands, the house leaks. Look at verse 19 specifically. Instead of repairing the breaches, the officials make a feast for laughter, serve wine to cheer life, and depend on tax money to answer for all of it. See, in verse 19, we see, we see this text say this, and, and this is so important that we pay attention as we're studying the Word. It says, um, a feast is prepared for laughter, and wine makes life happy, and money is the answer for everything. If we just skim across that, we walk away with this idea that if we want to have a great life the way God has called us to, that we just eat a lot, drink a lot of wine, and depend on money, Right? But that's not what he's saying. And that's what the Amplified Version is picking up on there. He says, instead of repairing the breaches in the roof, they distract themselves with laughter and with wine. And they think that money's the answer to all of it. The author is rebuking foolish leaders who ignore the problems that their neglect has caused. Rather than dealing with the problems, they throw food, wine, and money at the problem. Look, there's some great application for us as believers in these two verses. There's the obvious that when we aren't daily abiding, the issues in our lives begin to stack up. And what happens when that happens? 
When we know we're not living the way we should, when we know we're not spending time with the Lord and life begins to crumble and those things add up and add up and add up, we begin to feel guilt and shame. We get depressed. We experience fear. And this causes us to desire to cover up the problem rather than facing it. This is one of Satan's favorite tactics. You miss a day, and buddy, he jumps on and goes, all right, I'm going to start stacking it up here. And pretty soon they're going to be so embarrassed about it that they're not going to want to come back. He loves guilt and shame because of the incredible power it can have over us. But rather than avoiding uh, the neglected, we should run to that, right? This roof analogy is one that people in Louisiana really get, right? We just had a hurricane. What's everybody's roof got on it? A tarp, because there's holes in the roof, right? And if you hadn't tarped your roof yet, and now you know beta's on the way, what are you fixing to do? You go put a tarp on that roof, right? If you don't, if you don't do that, if you neglect the problem, then you're going to have way bigger problems. This is something that we understand. Look at these words from Henry Blackaby this morning. I know I've been doing this a lot lately, but every Sunday morning the Lord has been giving me devotions that directly tie in with the message He has for that week. He references Isaiah 6-8. It's one we're familiar with. It's when Isaiah is standing before the Lord. And he, he says this, Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, Who will I send? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am. Send me. Blackaby says, It takes a pure heart to see God. You can attend church services, read your Bible, and pray. But if sin fills your heart, you will not see God. You will know when you have encountered God because your life will no longer be the same. Isaiah was concerned with the death of King Uzzah and the able king of Judah, but was disoriented to his heavenly father. Then something happened that forever changed Isaiah's life. In all his awesome, God in all his awesome majesty appeared to him in the temple surrounded by heavenly creatures. Instantly, God's presence made Isaiah aware of his sinfulness. One of the seraphim came to him with a burning coal and cleansed Isaiah of his sin. Immediately, Isaiah began to hear things he had never heard before. Now he was aware of a conversation in heaven concerning who might be worthy to be God's messenger to the people. This prompted Isaiah's eager response, Here I am, send me. Now that God cleansed Isaiah, he was aware of heavenly concerns and prepared to offer himself in God's service. Whereas Isaiah had been preoccupied with earthly matters, now his only concern was the activity of God. If you've become estranged to God and his activity, you need to experience his cleansing. Sanctification prepares you to see and hear God, enables you to serve him only god can purify your heart allow him to remove any impurities that hinder your relationship with him and then your service to him will have meaning as you offer him your consecrated life An abiding relationship with christ is what keeps our life in perspective as a final exhortation in our section in Ecclesiastes in chapter 10, the preacher reminds us that we need to keep not only our actions, but even our thoughts captive. There's so much to distract us. And I love that Henry Blackaby points out that Isaiah, I never thought about this before. Isaiah was so preoccupied with what was going on in the world that he's standing before God and he's not even hearing what God is saying. And we've looked at, I don't know about you, but I've looked at this passage so many times over the course of my Christian life. 
And I focus on the seraphim and, and all the things that Scripture says about them and the fact that it's trembling and that the Lord's robe filled the place. But I never noticed that Isaiah is seeing all this, but he does not hear that the Lord is looking for someone to send. It's not until the sin is removed from his life. And it's so important for us to realize that Isaiah didn't prepare himself for that. Right? So often we think, i got to get my life cleaned up and then I'll go back to God. But we know that that's not how grace works. Isaiah didn't do that. He found himself before the Lord and the Lord said, come here, let me cleanse you. And the seraphim did the work. The seraphim touched the coals to his lips. You may not say this, say everything that you're thinking out loud often, but your tone and your body language reveal the truth of what you're thinking. Not only that, but God sees the truth of what we're thinking. And this is the very reason why so many people are just done with church, right? We talk about that often, we call that dead religion. We talked last week about how people know when we're being authentic and when we're not. Dead religion is brought about by people pretending to be godly, but then having different thoughts in their hearts and in their minds. We need to have an experience like Isaiah did where we stand before the Lord and we allow Him to cleanse us. And, and church, that's not something that happens once when we get saved. That's something that happens daily. That's what that, that time in the morning is about. It's about saying, look God, I know that I messed up yesterday and I know that I'm going to mess up today and I need you to sanctify me. That's how we're able to make a difference in this world. The world doesn't need more dead religion. There's already plenty of that going around. What the world longs for is people that are real. People that can admit to one another and say, hey, look, I've made some mistakes in my life. And this is how the Lord has helped me through that. The world needs a people that aren't afraid to acknowledge the difficult, but in fact, dive into that difficulty in order to bring God's restoration into it. When Isaiah stood before God, the sin in his life was revealed and it was immediately dealt with. And the Lord wants to do that same work in our lives. Isaiah didn't fix himself. He also didn't have to be perfect before he went into God's presence. This is the same thing that God wants to do in our lives. As Blackaby said this morning, if you're estranged from God and His activity, run to the Father. Look, we're about to have a time of worship together. And the purpose of that is for us to, to be before the Lord, just like Isaiah was. The Holy Spirit is in this place today. And so I don't want us to waste an opportunity to be before the Lord and allow Him to work in our lives. This is why we are here so this morning as we sing together, take this opportunity to bring your brokenness before the Father. Lay it out there. Let Him deal with it. We are here, we are gathered around Jesus because our hearts are drawn to His perfection and to His love and because we are in need of His sanctification. And so don't waste this opportunity this morning. Kobe, if you would, go ahead and come up. And I want us to go ahead and stand this morning. And we're going to pray together and I want us to join our worship our voices together, singing to the Lord. Let's stand. We're going to pray, and Kobe's going to lead us in worship. Listen, all of us have sin in our lives. We are all aware of that. And all of us need an opportunity to stand before the Lord, bring our brokenness into His presence, and let Him sanctify us. Let Him heal that brokenness in our lives. And so this morning as we sing, let that be your focus.
Let's pray together and then let's, let's join the Lord. Father, I thank you so much that we don't have to be perfect when we come into your presence. I'm so thankful that, that you invite us in just as we are. And you don't leave us in our sinful situation. But Father, you, you sanctify us. You cleanse us because of who you are, not because of who we are. Father, this world desperately needs to know you. They need to understand what it means to be in right relationship with you. And we have that knowledge and we have that experience, but so often we allow the world to distract us and we don't even hear what you're saying. So Father, this morning as we are gathered together, I pray that you would work in my heart, work in the hearts of your people here. That Father, you would allow us to be vulnerable this morning, to be authentic, to lay our brokenness before your feet. That Father, that we would would come into this moment together as the body of Christ, that that you would do according to your word, that, that you would bring the Holy Spirit into this place, you would manifest yourself we would experience you and that we would be forever changed by that experience that when we go to work tomorrow that your spirit would join us that we would wake up in the morning ready and excited about spending time with you because we know your goodness and we feel your goodness so father this morning work in our hearts as we sing